Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, we're ready to finish the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm excited though. Because I think now, going into it next year, I'm going to feel a lot more excited about recovering that territory. So I think I'm changing, changing my tune about Ezekiel. Yeah. Well, and I like Daniel. Daniel's next. And Daniel's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Daniel's fun for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Half of it is like super, oh, it's exciting and, and applicable. And the other half, you're like, what am I even reading, Lord? Right. Why? Why? It's like Ezekiel the, the lion, Redux. the ox. <laughs> yeah. Or the, yeah. There's so many different symbols and images. Oh, it's so challenging. It is, but it's good. It's great. It's great. It's awesome. And we get to study about Rackshack and Benny. That's right. Yeah. Hey, it's my son's birthday today. Happy birthday, son. Luke. Which one? Luke. Luke. Yep, Luke's eight. Luke, did you name him after Pastor Lucas in AV? Uh, we did not. You did not? We did not. Are you sure about that? Yep, because we didn't know him at the time. Maybe prophetically named him. No, we named him. In I'm honor of sure Pastor it had Lucas. to do with the Luke in the Bible. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's eight, so we're excited about that. That's awesome. Big eight, man. Yeah. You guys got plans? Uh, my in-laws are in town, so cool. we're hanging with them and right on. yeah, celebrating and he wanted chocolate cheesecake. So we got chocolate cake Ooh, and a cheesecake. Yeah. Wait, that's not the, that's not the way that works. Chocolate cheesecake is a thing. No, but see what happened was we were at Costco and they didn't have chocolate cheesecake, but they had cheesecake and chocolate cake. So <laughs> we got chocolate cake and cheesecake. One on top of the other. No, and, and we sold it to him because we were like, Luke, you we, get both. Got, we got chocolate cake and cheesecake. And he was like, can I have one of each? And we said, yes. Okay. Well, problem solved. I problem suppose. solved. And if you mashed them up together, it's like chocolate cheesecake. All right. I still think you should stack them on top of each other. Just see what you can do with that. Okay. We'll let you know. I think every eight-year-old boy also ought to ride a bull. So if you're not opposed to taking them to Fort Worth, getting them on a bull. Yeah. If one of my kids incredible. would do it, Luke would do it. Yeah. There you go. Like, I'm, I'm on it. I got let's, it. Let's Don't do worry it. about it. Yeah. Record it. Yeah. Yeah, or, or or we'll just, maybe not. <laughs> I think you'd enjoy that. Luke is not uh, grand in stature, so I don't know if him on a bull would be. He's resilient, though. The bull probably wouldn't even know that anything's on it. <laughs> it would just sit there. But it would be a memory he would never forget. It would. He would love it. It would. Well, hey, speaking of a memory you'll never forget, let's finish Ezekiel together. I think that's possible they could forget it, but okay. No, I think they're going to be so excited. <laughs> because of our incredible explanatory skills no because we're done okay hey there's a river i got a river of life flowing out of me makes the lame to walk and the blind to see no there's a river in chapter 47 do you not know that song i do okay I do. you just laid out on me like well i, I only know nothing. one lyric so <laughs> you went past the lyric i knew I, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes sense. That, to walk in the blind to see. Opens prison doors. That's a, I don't know the rest of that song. Sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. Goosh, 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 goosh. You have to remember, man, I wasn't I wasn't raised in a in church. And in well, the in church that I did know early on was Pentecostal. So we sang different songs. Okay. But Awesome God by Richard Mullins. You know that one, oh, right? Oh, that one I know, of course. Okay. It's like the same stature. It's not. It is. It's not. It is. It wasn't Both in my Pentecostal church, bro. You know, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Of course. That's Pentecostal standard <laughs> fare. Thank you very much. Come on. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That's standard Pentecostal. It's, it wasn't. That my, we, you know what we did? We did a I walk by faith 
each step I t-. and then we'd actually walk across the auditorium. I don't know that one. Exactly, because that's Pentecostal fair. Yeah, our, uh, our worship pastor at the time, Patsy Hoffman, was a big fan of songs that made us get out of our seat and do things. So there were hand gestures and walking movements. Do the whole shake a brother's hand, shake the hand next to you. No, I don't no. know that one. Yeah, that one was like the anti-COVID song. <laughs> That's you were hugging people, you were COVID. all that stuff. It was the Pentecostals all along. Yeah, likely. Hey, but there's a river in chapter 47, and the river is coming from the temple. Is this a literal river? I think it is. See, I think it's a literal this river. This is one of those areas where I'm like, okay, I could potentially see this being a, a symbolic, not gesture, a symbolic action by yeah. God. I think it's a literal river because there's a river in Eden, there's a river in the new heavens and new earth, and I think there's... Uh, the river here as well. And uh, the river here has trees on its banks that it is nourishing, that it is supplying life to. Uh, there's some question from some commentators out there about whether or not this is the same river uh, that is there in the new heavens and new earth. Obviously, this is not the new heavens and new earth, but there is a river that comes there and it flows from the throne, not the temple, because there is no temple on the new earth. Uh, but here it's flowing from the temple and it's giving life and it is uh, having such an impact that the Dead Sea becomes fresh. Now, I do think there's symbolism at work here. For instance, right there, I think there's significance that something that is, like you go to the Dead Sea today, it's it's not a pleasant experience. People go there and they will get in the water and they will, I didn't get in the water when I went because I just didn't want to be gross. <laughs> but you, it's, it's sailing content is so high that you can't help but float. Like you, it's it's almost hard to sink in the water. Yes. And so there's nothing alive in it. And that's why it's the Dead Sea. And so here you have a river and it is flowing from the, the temple in Jerusalem and it is going to be so potent in its freshness and its vitality that it is going to turn the Dead Sea into a living body of water where there are actually fish that are being caught and feeding the nation. life, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I see it as a, a literal river that's flowing from the temple. Whether it is or isn't, the idea is the same. Uh, God's going to bring the dead to life. There's a rest- restoration. There's renewal. There is a rich harvest of God's glory and honor being harvested because of this river of life flowing from the temple, which is consistent with the idea that God's the one who gives life, right? He's the one who provides life and light and everything. Uh, so for this millennial time frame, it's evident because of the water flowing from the temple. Right. Following this description of the, the river, uh, we get a a breakdown of the land and it looks different than any of the other maps that you're going to find in your Bible. It's an Israel hamburger. It really is with like multiple layers, multiple layers. And, and that sounds like a good hamburger. If you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go with like a 10 tier chocolate cake. Um, I like hamburger better. Okay. Uh, what's notable is that each of these portions is equal to the other one in its size. Yeah. And it's, it's really just kind of slicing the land uh, horizontally across and creating these sections that uh, make up the, the land of the 12 tribes there. Which if it weren't, if it's symbolic, I'd like to know what that symbolizes. Right. Right. Which I guess it's possible. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's something interesting. Right now, if you were to go to Israel and uh, tap an Orthodox Jewish man or woman on the shoulder and say, uh, excuse me, what tribe are you from? Guess what they're going to tell you? David's tribe. They're going to say, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, I have no idea. And so there's going to be something that takes place in the, the the unfolding of the end times wherein the 12 tribes and their identities are restored to the nation of Israel. Probably 23 and me. Probably, yeah. I'm they sure all take that's the test and that's yeah. what Jesus uses. Yeah, you are Judahite and uh, Italian. <laughs> yeah. No, 
So th- that's fascinating. And, uh, and that's, that's going to be an, an interesting thing to watch unfold and, and to see how that happens. Because right now, all of that information has been lost. None of them can trace their lineage back to any tribal affiliation other than to say we're Israelites. Uh, and so that's that's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. How how did they lose that information? That's pretty uh, clearly they cared about genealogies. Right, there are some that are presented in the Bible itself. So how did they end up losing such critical information? You know, probably some of it came through the exiles, destru- exile, and the destruction of the temple, the yeah. destruction of the records things are set on fire. Yeah, those things. I mean, eventually family tradition and, and history gets passed on from one generation to the next, but eventually you start forgetting some things. And I think distance, it, they stopped operating as much wherein that was as significant because they, for lack of a better term, modernized into becoming a nation rather than becoming a, a, a people group of a bunch of different tribes working together. And uh, and then they weren't a nation for so long that I, I think there was so much people moved and, and lived in different parts of the world. And the, that distinction was just, it went by the wayside. So we're talking about the temple. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? No mention of it. Yep. It's, it, I, I, I think I it's assumed. Yeah. Oh, is it in your house? I, in it's your garage. not my house. It's not my house. Okay. No, I believe the book of Revelation tells us, and hold on one second, because uh, you've got Indiana Jones Holding. who's been searching for it. Yeah, yeah, I think he found it, didn't he? He did, and then the one guy looked into it, and it got really weird all of a sudden. Oh. It, was, it was really kind of gross and everything. But um, let me get there. Hold on. If I could operate my Bible software correctly. We'll here. just edit this part out and make we'll it edit instantaneous. It and it'll be like, boom, this is what happened. Okay, here we go. So there's 226 uses of the word ark, by the way, in the Bible. Revelation 11:19. In Revelation 11:19, John is recording. It says, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant was seen within his temple. There was flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. So John sees the Ark of the Covenant in heaven with the Lord. Is it the actual Ark that was lost? Or is this... Because Hebrews talks about all these things being shadows of the heavenly realities. Right. So is it possible that what he's seeing is the the substance, the actual thing, and that this is... That what we've been... What we're missing is the shadowy Ark. It's possible, although I don't... I, the significance of the Ark was that it's where the mercy seat was, right? Where the presence of the glory of God... Right. resided above it. So I don't I don't know that there's a literal reality to that in heaven. I think that the whole thing is the 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 shadow is just that this is where the glory of God resided, the shadow being the the okay. full glory of God is there. Okay. I think there's a, a legitimate chance that God took this with him and and uh like he did with with Elisha and what like he did with or like Elijah like he did with others that caught it up and, and took it away. And I think there's there's understandable reasons for that. I mean, imagine if we had the ark today. Think about how crazy people would go over it. But there'd be no way to prove it. I think you, you, you'd have people saying, oh, I got it, I got it. And, and there's no way to say, well, certainly this is it. But but even if it had been been preserved, it would become, there's no doubt it would become an idol. Yeah, that's look at, true. Look at what the church has done to their you know their icons and and their their things that they've grabbed and and you go to this church in the in the middle of Europe and it's like well here's a sliver from the cross of Christ and yeah. people go and they, they venerate these things and they cry over these things and it's it's, it's I understand the temptation right I get that yeah it's I like, mean if, wow, if you had the Christ. ark you could be like whoa look at this this is the ark this is where the ten commandments were this is where 
Aaron's butt. This is where the glory of God resided above these things. I think God just took it out of the equation, and it's there in heaven with him. I think John sees it there. He also let the ark be captured by the Philistines, too. So I think he there's did. a fair chance that, I mean, granted, what what comes out of heaven in Revelation, could, who knows? I right. don't know. God reconstitutes it. He takes it from somewhere else. I, I don't know. But I think there's a Shaking fair me. chance it's got it's gone somewhere on the planet. Someone melted it down. Took the I don't know. I, I just don't know. Yeah, although it didn't go well with the Philistines when they took the ark. Did not. Nope. God you wanted did not it back. Want to be a Philistine. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, the uh, the the end of the book of Ezekiel I just think is is super cool. Um, here's one thing that's super clear, super hopeful. And that's there in verse 34, 35, rather, at the very end. He gives the cir- circumference to the city, but then he says this, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. That's, that's a hopeful thing to a group of exiles, to people that are suffering under the judgment of God, to think about the, a day that's going to come when the name of the city is the Lord is there. Uh, that will be awesome. When Ezekiel has been talking about the fact that Jerusalem is going to become a byword, it's going to be a curse word. People are going to pronounce cursings in the name of Jerusalem. There's, hey, there's a day coming in the future when the people of God are going to gather in a city that's going to be called by his name because he will be there forever. And just a quick reminder here that the exiles didn't make this temple. This right. temple has never shown up. And right. the post-exilic crew that, that was led under Ezra and Nehemiah did not erect this. They erected something. In fact, you might remember that when they did erect a temple, there were some that rejoiced and there were some that wept because it was so inferior to their prior temple. Herod's temple that came, uh, I don't know, 500 years later, give or take, rough and dirty, um, was magnificent and grand, but it still was not Ezekiel's temple, which again leads us to the conclusion, this temple will have to be made sometime in the future, and the most likely place is during the millennial reign of Christ when he sets his foot on the planet itself. Well, let's flip over to who our New Testament reading, brand new book. Well, we And we just finished Ezekiel. Yep. Let's celebrate that for a second there. Yay! Okay, I'm good. Was that enough celebration? That was way too much, in my opinion. Okay, was that too Pentecostal? Very Pentecostal. I almost started singing. I my Pentecostal life friends again. who listen to this podcast are going to love that. Do you have them? I do. I, in fact, I know one of my friends for sure. He, he lets me know every now and then. He's like, "Oh man, good podcast today." Nice, thank you. And he's one of my bros from from the from the Assemblies of God Church. That I came Maybe from. he knows I've got a river of life. <laughs> I'm sure he he's actually a worship leader, so I wouldn't be surprised if he knew that song pretty well. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, did you ever sing that one? Um, sing it. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, no, baby, let my let, people go, huh, uh, no, okay, never mind, never mind, not that Pentecostal, whatever, <laughs> this is back in the 90s, as a reformed Pentecostal, back. I don't whatever. recall that, I've song. got people on the podcast that are finishing that song out, oh, uh, do you, burning bush told me just the other day, I'm gonna send you a YouTube video, you I was not, it. see, I was not raised in the church, pixelated. just so you know, it's gonna be awesome, <laughs> yep, hey, first John, First John, uh, as the name would imply, it's a very short book, man. I mean, well, the First John chapter one, that is. First John chapter one, yes, yeah. Uh, as the name would imply, is one of multiple letters that John wrote. John and who? And, uh, John the Baptist. John the Apostle. John the Apostle. Yeah, not and we be confused with John the Baptist. And here's the thing: he doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't say, "Hey, this is John, an apostle." He doesn't say, "From John, look at I'm writing this with big letters." Mad flex. He just, but this is John, right? Yeah. I mean, read the gospel. He calls himself in the gospel, not by his name, but he calls himself the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, an also, that's also a flex. So, right. Um, so how do we know this is John? How well, do we know John? there's some internal evidence like that. Like he doesn't name himself. That's in keeping with John. Uh, there's also the internal evidence of the reality that, man, this is a letter written that is very strong and very authoritative. And John certainly had that clout in the early church. Uh, perhaps uniquely so at this point during the writing, we believe that this was written towards the end of the first century AD. So 90 to 95, somewhere in that window, probably. 
um, most of, well, all of John's other apostles had, had died at that point. Jesus so, other apostles. Yeah. So uh, yeah, John's, John's fellow apostles. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, they had died at that point. And so John was kind of the last one of the, the inner circle with eyewitness authority of witnessing Jesus. Uh, but you also had some others that were, uh, early church fathers that knew John that attested to the fact that, yeah, John wrote this letter. So we've got external evidence and internal evidence, even without John saying, hey, I'm John and I'm writing this, that John is the one that wrote this. I mean, it's just so clear too, by the way that it reads, it's just some of the, some of the phrases are almost exactly what's written in the gospel of John, which right. gives another sense of, okay, there, there's a great deal of continuity between the gospel and this letter from John. Right. So what's the purpose of First John's letter? Purpose of First John's letter, there are different views on that. Some will say this is a test of fellowship. Some will say this is a test of assurance. Some will say this is a test of, uh, of salvation in general. And I think that there are multiple layers that are at work here, but I do think as we read this letter, uh, this is calling us to what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is the, the test of are we in fellowship with Christ, which is in essence a, a test of are we saved? Are we not saved? There's a di- there's there's different uh, suggestions about how many tests there are. I think the the most simple I've heard, and I really like it because of its simplification, is that there's three tests: a test of obedience, the test of uh, belief, and the test of love. So obedience, belief, and love. Paul's gonna, or John rather is going to challenge us with saying, you know the commandments, but are you doing them? He's also going to challenge us to say, do you know who the real Christ is? Are you professing the right Christ or are you bringing in a false Christ? And then finally, he's going to challenge us with the test of love. Do you have a true love for the brothers? You can't say that you're born again by the God of love and then not have love for others. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that first test of the test of obedience, he gets into that right away. And uh, after introducing things, which has some of the Johannine elements to it, he's talking about the things that they've seen and they've heard, they've touched with their hands, the word of life. That's a that's very similar language to what we've studied John in, 1, 1, yeah. in John 1. But then as we get into starting in verse 5, he's talking about uh, how we should think about sin in our lives as, as believers. And he's going to talk about a lot about this. One thing is he's not implying by any stretch anywhere in this this epistle, though it can be confusing as we read some of his statements later on. He is arguing against the fact that any believer could say, I have no sin. He's not arguing here that a, to be a Christian is to be sinless. He is arguing that that we need to be careful about sin in our lives because, as he says here right off the bat, if we say we have fellowship with him, if we're saying, hey, I'm a believer, while we walk in darkness, to walk in, that language is habitual. That that language is there's a pattern of behavior here that's characterizing us so that we're, we're professing to be in the light with Jesus, but we're walking in the darkness. He says we lie and do not practice the truth. Instead, we need to walk in the light in fellowship with other believers, and that will give us the confidence, the assurance that the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sin. Because again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So so John here is, is making it abundantly clear from the outset to be a follower of Jesus is not to be sinless, but man, it is to take up the, the, the threat of sin seriously and to do battle against sin because it shouldn't be characteristic of a believer's life. Right. The idea of walking is not new. This is not the first time you've heard this. Walking's all over the scripture. Paul loves to use this terminology. Uh, that we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. That we're to walk as children of the light, not as sons of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2. And so this is a common theme. One of the things I love about this, though, verse 9 is a favorite for a lot of people, and there's reasons why. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the designation there. He's faithful and he's just. He's not just faithful to forgive us of our sins, but he's also just. He's not glibly kind of 
dismissing our sin as though it weren't a big deal. It is a big deal. But the justice comes from the fact that he's delivered Jesus to be the one who stands in our place for our sin. And therefore, when he forgives us, he's being faithful and he's being just. Thank God for that. Yeah. Encouraging thoughts for sure for all of us today, because I'm sure if you're like us, you've sinned today at some point in time. Once or twice. Yep. And so it's good news that we have a God who can forgive us because of Christ. Amen. Well, hey, join us again tomorrow for another episode, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow Sunday. So make sure you're making plans already for church tomorrow morning. That's right. Go to bed early. Peace. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.